do. I've learned really, so much I've shared so many things about <laughs> this Baruch this week. Yeah, so that was our topic, Baruch. Um, Baruch as the decisive thought for life. That all, the all-holy God also looks upon human life. And that human thought, feeling, word, and deed are not matters of indifference to him, but are to be employed as servants in the fulfillment of his will. In other words, how we feel and what we think and what we choose and what we do matters. And what makes it matter is how we use it. I mean, that's, that the reason it matters is because it has the potential to be used for God's will. Okay. No, we're good. We're, I'm, I'm, I, I said about one sentence. Okay. Um, yeah, I don't think she's going to make it today. She said one of her kids is sick. So, yeah, sorry about that. I have to leave that there because we got it set up yesterday for today. So, I didn't want to move it. <laughs> um, Are we watching something? No, it's not for oh. us. Oh. <laughs> Rabbi Goldberg I don't speaking know. <laughs> for this, for teachers and aides. Um, okay, so Baruch is the basic, basic building block of life. It's also, <laughs> not also, meaning a reflection of that or a facet of that is that it is the basic building block of <coughs> tefillah. Okay, so if you think about that a minute, when man was created, we've said this over and over again, right? When man, meaning humankind, was first created. Mm -hmm. So the Torah tells us that the vegetation had not yet sprouted. Right because man did not yet exist to work the land and to recognize that the rain was good, right? That's, I'm like paraphrasing it with Rashi. To know, to know that rain was good for the earth and to daven for it. So to see that there's a need, to see that that's good and to daven for it. Okay. Meaning that the ability to have Deya and Dibor, the ability to recognize, to understand, and to understand the source of things, and to ask for them from the source, which is Baruch, right? That connection between something in the physical world and its source in the spiritual world. That was like, not the definition we gave last week, but it's a definition we've been using functionally since, since we first started Brachos. Right, <coughs> connecting the, that was like our first imagery with the base, connecting this yes. plane with it. So each thing in this plane. So whether it's, you know, the food or the clothing or the shoes or the whatever it is, the means and resources that are physically, tangibly in this world and connecting them to the upper world, that is fundamental to human existence and life. And therefore, just like it's the fundamental thought of life and concept of our lives, it's also the building block throughout our day in davening. And it's not just during three times a day davening, but it's actually all throughout the day, there's this constant little extra pushes, little, little extra shots of baruch that we give ourselves through the day. So I wanted to share with you an idea <laughs> that I shared once before, but, but it's very likely you guys will get more of it, not because of your that you're older, which is true, but because you'll be listening. <laughs> I gave this as a sub for a class that was just so wired and hyped that, like, <laughs> I'm not sure they caught much of it. But it was what I thought they needed to hear, so I don't have control over what they do actually hear. You never know. But I thought I would share it with you also, because this idea 
of it being a fundamental <coughs> thought of life and the fundamental unit of prayer. So what I mean by the fundamental unit of prayer and why that's relevant here because we're not talking about brachos now. We're talking about psuke de zimra now. And yet, psuke de zimra, I mean, how much more of a bracha can you get than a bracha that is introduced by ten times word baruch? So it's just like, psuke de zimra opens with a bracha of baruch she'amar and closes with a bracha of yishtabach, which means that it, yishtabach doesn't start with the word baruch atashem, which means it's not a freestanding bracha. It's a bracha hasmucha lechevrata. It's a bracha that is attached to its partner. You with me here? Okay, let me... Let's just define that, okay? In benching, because that's a, that's a place where we're real familiar, okay? Birkas hamazon, after we eat bread, after a meal, we say, Baruch Hashem, Elokeinu melech haolam, hazanas haolam kulo betuvo v'chem v'chazer, okay? That is called a bracha arichta, a long bracha. The format of a long bracha, as opposed to like a short bracha, is, excuse me, maybe I will and maybe I won't keep us all in suspense about whether I'm going to sneeze. Um, the format of a long bracha is it opens with the words Baruch Ata Hashem Elokeinu and then it has a more detailed description of whatever the topic is, and then it ends with a short summary Baruch Ata Hashem Hazan for example. Okay, when you have two long brachas, two bracha arichta, one after the other, it's very common for the second bracha to have a slightly different format, which is called bracha smucha lechevrata, a bracha that is adjacent to its colleague, <laughs> to its partner. What does that mean? That means that it doesn't open with the words baruch atashem elokeinam It basically piggybacks onto the previous baruch atashem elokeinam and then goes on from there. So in benching, it's classic. The next paragraph says, no delecha Hashem elokeinu. It doesn't say baruch atashem elokeinam elokeinam no delecha. And yet it ends with Baruch Ato Hashem Hazanes Hakol. Okay, no Dilcha and Ve'al Hakol are really the same bracha. It's one very long paragraph. Okay, so you have this very long bracha ending with Baruch Ato Hashem Al Ha'aretz Ve'al Hamazon. And the same thing with Rachim, which ends with Uvnei Yerushalayim, Baruch Ato Hashem Bonei Berachim of Yerushalayim Amen. It's a long bracha, but it's not just a bracha. It's a bracha that is adjacent to its partner and therefore it skips the Baruch HaTashem Elkeinu Melchalam at the beginning, and it latches on to the bracha before it. Okay, that's, that's not unusual. Psukhidi Zimmer does the same thing. So we start with an opening bracha. Baruch HaTashem Elkeinu Melchalam HaKel HaAv HaRachaman HaMehula B'Fiyamo Meshubach Humfor B'Shon Chasida V'Avadav And it ends with Baruch HaTashem Melch Meula V'Tishbachos. That's one bracha. And then the bracha that is also long and attached and adjacent to it is Yishtabach Shimcha La'ad Malkeinu, ending with Baruch Ato Hashem, Kel Melech Gadol Batish Bachos, Kel Odaos Adon Lefloos, Melech Kel Chei HaOlamim. Okay, so it doesn't have the opening Baruch Ato Hashem Kel Melech because it's piggybacking onto Baruch She'omar, which means that everything in the between is not an interruption. Because <laughs> these are adjacent. So all those psuke dezimers in the middle are the mitzvah itself. Halal, actually. Halal is the same thing. Okay? And it ends with yahalalucha, right? So the praise in the middle, since the, the mitzvah is the praise, so the praise in the middle is not any interruption whatsoever. You have an opening bracha, you have a closing bracha. Uh, it does mean you have to be careful not to interrupt, like by talking about something else in the middle, because then you're breaking up the bracha. 
but it's an opening bracha and a closing bracha, which is, and, and not speaking halachically, just presenting a concept that you could ask a halachic question about. So when you say Baruch when you say Pesuk Zimra, if you can't say the whole thing, so one possibility is to say Baruch Amar, one of the praise paragraphs in the middle, maybe Ashrei, maybe Haluka, and then Yishtabach. Because then you get like the whole format, you just have like an abridged middle. Okay, that would make, that, it, may, it's a sen- it makes sense as a way to approach Pesuk Zimra. Because you've got the opening bracha and the closing bracha, but they're really attached. Okay. So everything in the middle is praise. It is different kinds of praise. It's the, yeah, Zimra, it's singing praise of Hashem, recognizing his force in the world and in world events, in nature and in world events. Okay. So, so here is a classic example where the mitzvah is not saying brachos. This davening is about praise. Psukhet Zimra, singing praise. And yet the way that we sing the praise is by holding it all together with a bracha. And when we get to Kriyashma and we have a mitzvah of Kabbalah's Malchus Shemayim, we have brachos before and brachos afterward. And when we get to Shemona Esrei and we have our Shavach and Bakasha and Hodah and we have our tuning in to Hashem's Ratzon as filling the world, it's 18 or 19 brachos that actually link together to create the structure that all the tefillah is built on. So when we say that brachos are like a fundamental building block of our life and of our tefillah, it's literally true. Like every kind of davening that we do somehow comes back around to to being structured in terms of a bracha, even though brachos is like the low level, right, the bottom of the rung in terms of our davening. Like brachos is rooted in this world, and you have Shemona Esrei that's like way up there. Okay, so this idea we actually see in Parshas Vayetze. <clears throat> Yaakov came out from Be'er Sheva, and he went to Haran, Ba'ivka Bamakom, and he bumped into the place, and he went to sleep. Okay, which place was this? This, what, this is not a Parsha here, so we won't take the time, but one of the awesome things about this whole passage is Bamakom. He, he, he encountered the place, and he slept in the place, and he took the stones of the place, and he said, this place is nothing other than Shar HaShemayim, Beis Elohim and Shar HaShemayim. This is the house of God. This is the gateway to heaven. Okay, he was at the Makom HaMikdash. So he's at the Makom HaMikdash, and he lies down and goes to sleep, and usually the Torah has something to do with the stones, right? Put the mm-hmm. stones around his head, okay? And while he's sleeping, he has a prophetic dream. It's more than, I mean, it's more a prophecy than dream, right? It's, it's a dream form of prophecy. Vayachalom, he dreamed, vehine, and behold, sulam mutzav artza, a ladder standing toward the ground, virosho magia hashamayma, and its head reaching to the heavens, vehine malachei elokim, and behold, angels of God, olim v'yordim bo, were go- are going up and coming down upon it. Okay, so the way I translated it is pretty cla- typical. That would be like the basic translation of this verse. And then we say, that's funny, how come the malachim are going up and down? 
because to our extremely limited knowledge of Malachim, we would probably have said, were we writing this, not having seen the vision ourselves, down and up. Right? Like Malachim, they should be like up there somewhere. Not that we're necessarily talking about up and down, but up there, and they would come down, and then they want to go back, they'll go up. Okay. So based on that question, we can look back at the verse and read it a little differently. And this is, I was going to say, a quirk of, of Hebrew. It's not a quirk, but inherent to it, but different from English. In English, we have the word it, a gender-neutral pointer, which you don't have in Hebrew. In Hebrew, everything is either masculine or feminine. Description, or, or it could switch between them, depending on what its role is that is playing. But it's a wonderful case of that with Doug and Daga in Sefer Yonah. Just brilliant. Okay. But over here, what if I read it this way? And he dreamed, and behold, a ladder standing on the ground. Okay, so that's not pointing to anything other than a ladder. And his head reaching the heavens, and behold, Malachim of Hashem are going up and coming down upon him instead of it. If I read it as him, then all of a sudden, what I discover is that Yaakov saw something new about himself in the dream, which is that he is a ladder with his feet on the ground and his head in the heavens. Okay, so what's a ladder? A ladder is basically a vertical bridge. <laughs> That's what a ladder is, right? This is not like a halachic definition of some sort, but what does a bridge do? You build it out and you can span a gap between two horizontal planes. And what a ladder does is it serves like a bridge, but it's in the vertical plane. The thing is, with a ladder, there's steps. Okay, but the steps overlie each other. So Yaakov has this realization, and <laughs> the realization fits. Why? Because where is he? He's in the place of Sha'ar Hashemayim, the gateway to heaven, and he realizes, I am a ladder. Forces for serving the divine, Malachi Elohim, go up and down from on me. When a person davens, it's unbelievable. Yeah. When a person davens, up and down on me or from me? Well, bo means with, it can be on him or it could be, it means really by way of him. So it could be using him as the channel or it could be through him, like within him. Can you within, say that one more time? The way you said the previous. About, you think I'm awake enough to remember that? Remind me. <laughs> about. Is, that, is, that, is, it through, is it through him um, or, or within by the way him. of him? Or within him. Can you I mean, say that specific line again? <sighs> no. He's the conduit. <laughs> it's recorded. He's we'll have conduit. to find it. He's I hope we record. So he's he a conduit. Like it could be that he's the conduit or it could be that he is, yeah, that he's the source of it. Okay. That ties into what we said last week about the letter A hundred percent. It's exactly that. Okay. It is a ladder. It is a bridge bridging two planes that are vertically separated on the base. Yeah. Okay. But what he realizes, and this is like a, this is now a new thing, which is that who's the ladder? He himself is the ladder with the feet on the ground and the head in Shammai. I right. love it. It's awesome. Mm -hmm. And it also fits exactly. Well, because we also pray through our avod. Kind of like That's also true. But I think over here. I think over here, it's not really a contradiction. Um, there's a message. Sorry, I just wanted to pull out. I noticed that I had one of these in here. I don't know. This is like an old. Well, not so old. It's just a long time ago. Okay. One of our little 
four row, four row tefillah charts, okay, where the feet are on the ground, so you have the body, and then you have the nefesh, spirit, and then you have the head with the intellect, and then you have the neshama, this idea that there's, we are connecting in our prayer this world and the spiritual world. That's not novel. I mean, it's just really this image of the person, really each of us ourselves. When we daven, we are that ladder. We form a bridge. And the thing about a ladder versus a bridge is that the rungs are one over the other. You can't skip. You have to go to level one to get to level two, and you go to level two to get to level three, and you go to level three to get to level four. That's how davening works. It's in these stages. They build on each other. So level one is not just, or I guess my numbers are backward, but okay. It's not just a way to get to the next one and leave the first one behind. Each one supports the one above it. So where brachos are the base, Rav Pincus describes brachos, right, as the base with, like, handles, and then you put everything on top of that, and then you lift it up and move it by the handles. That base that makes it all hold together is the feet on the ground. That's the brachos. And so the brachos don't disappear as you work your way up the ladder. They're still there. It just keeps building on top of the brachos and the foundation of the brachos, which really then are the foundation of our lives as people and of our lives in prayer and of our daily life linking together our active life with our prayer life so that when we take an action, we make a bracha. What the bracha does is it connects this physical life to our spiritual life. It's literally what it does. And therefore, the malachim are going up and down because what he's understanding over here is based on his tefillah, right? His recognition, his looking at the world and looking up, speaking and sending it upward. And that is very much the concept of that kavana, of, of directing our tefillos closer and closer <coughs> towards the shar hashamayim. There's a, there's a concept, which I don't remember if I mentioned here, of the tunis, again, the tunis of bracha, not tunis like Algeria, but like, <laughs> sorry, the T-W-O hyphen N-E-S-S, right, that dual nature, the duality inherent to bracha, which is that the word bracha this part we did talk about, the word bracha kind of means two things in a colloquial sense. It means I want to bless you, and it means I want you to bless me. So I want to give you a bracha. Hashem should, Hashem should bend you that, right? So is it me giving you the bracha or is Hashem giving you the bracha? Bracha kind of means both. So how do you reconcile that? You have to have some kind of clarity with it. And the way we can have that clarity is that image of the base or that image of the ladder, realizing that it is the connection between what is in the physical world and its source in the spiritual. So when I see that which is in the physical world and I give praise for it, I give thanks for it, then I am looking down here and giving appreciation for up there where it came from. When I 
realize something is lacking in this world, and I ask for it in the bracha, and then what I'm doing is I'm saying, Hashem, you're the source of all bracha. Please send it down this way, down the, down the pipe, right? Okay. So I saw, I, I saw this in the Rabbeinu Bachia. I saw it more than once, but I was not able to find it again when I looked for it like two weeks ago. Um, this idea, which is, we see that, we see that bracha and tefillah are at their source correlated with rain, the cycle of rain, right? Man, the rain didn't come because man wasn't created in order that he should ask for the rain. What's the deal with the rain? Now, this is a very apropos topic in Cheshvan, like you see a lot of great different Torah starting around Shemini Atzeres going into Cheshvan, right? Rain. All right. There's a lot of things about rain, but let's take the physical side of rain for a moment here. Um, when you're in like first or second grade, and sometimes year after year, depending on what teachers you have, they want to teach you about the water cycle. So water, right, is in the ocean or lakes and it evaporates. And the water droplets evaporate molecules into the air. They gather together in clouds and at some point they condense and precipitate and come back down, landing not only where they came from but all over the ground and then working their way back down through the water table, right, underground and down through the rivers and back into the oceans and seas and then again evaporate. Okay. So the Gemara, the Gemara discusses, so which is it with rain and water? Sort of like asking which came first, the chicken or the egg? Which came first? Is it, when we talk about rain, are we talking about water from below that evaporated, the source is down below, and it evaporates and then becomes the rain that will fall down? Or are we talking about water from above that rains down upon us and then evaporates and goes back up again? In other words, which way should we be thinking about this? Do we think about rain as something, as an isarusa dila'ela, something that is initiated from above, catalyzed from above, and then we react to it? Or do we think about rain as something catalyzed from below by man? And Hashem reacts to it. Yes, and it goes both ways. Just asking the question gives us a new way to understand. Okay, it's a, it's very deep because <laughs> the whole relationship with rain as the activator of potential and that upon which our food supply relies. I mean, this it's a very deep question because the question is. It must be Are we supposed mouth. to be tri well? It's both, only right? It's a cycle. You've, we learned in Bereshis that um, Hashem only brought out the water right. when man, right. like, so there was only a mess. Had a sprout because it right. wasn't necessary until he came about. Mm -hmm. So it makes so there's definitely like, an element of know? the below here that we might not have thought of until now because we usually think about rain as totally that gift that only comes yeah, from above. Really think of it okay, exactly. but the truth is it can be either way. Okay. So Rabbeinu Bachya says this. I, I believe he says this. Like I said, I had trouble tracking down my source again afterward. I have to go back to some of the notebooks to find it. He says, with rain, 
Okay, we could ask the question that the Gemara asks, which, which came first, right? The seas or the skies. But there's a point here, which is that it's the same water. Mm-hmm. The water that goes up is the water that comes down. The water that comes down is the water that goes up. He says our tfilos are directly matching the rain. There's a reason why tfilah and rain go together. He says, when we say a bracha, right, this dual meaning of the word baruch, when we say a bracha, it is the prayers we send up that condense and rain back down as bracha. Yeah. It's, it's literally illustrated for us in the physical world by rain. It is our tfilos that rain down as bracha. Yeah, there's a lot of places we could go with it, but maybe maybe even just to let it Ooh, sink in. Is, I'm pretty sure Rabbeinu. it's Rabbeinu Bachya. Bachya. Not Bachya ibn Pakuda, the Rabbeinu Bachya on the Torah. It's a different, apparently it was a more popular name in a long time ago than it is now by the Rishonim. All right. Okay, so when we say we are the latter, that's bridging with our feet on the ground and our head in Shemayim. It's bracha that is this Circulated. sort of process of malachim olam v'yordimba. That's really what that, this is a subtext in Parshas Vayetzeh that we're hearing over here. Okay. So, so with that in our minds, this is bracha. What you pray for. That's also true. I, I'm not sure that the meaning of Rabbeinu Bachya is that exactly what we daven for we get, although every once in a while in your life, if you're Zoha, you will notice that Hashem sent you something exactly the way you asked for it. Maybe matching up to some unusual word you used, some funny circumstance you were in when you davened. And you see it matched back, and it's, it's a hug. It's a smile. It says, I just want you to remember that I'm actually listening to you. But also when you think about separating the Shemayim and the Mayim, so Mayim is also a very strong food source. Yeah, but my, meaning Mayim as the food source is expressed as Matar, as rain, right, or Geshem. Mm-hmm. Like Lehit Geshem is to become materialized. So it's, or to... Gashmus. Become actualized. Yeah, Gashmus. is actualization. That's what it actually means. That's so cool. I never connected that. Yeah. Gashem and Gashmus. Yeah. Really cool. If we're considering rain as being hmm. the source of bracha and talking about it. Rain the is the bracha, not the source of the bracha. Rain is the, is oh, the bracha okay. and the activation. What it does is it's mit Gashem. It causes yeah. that which is potential. To be realized. Those sprouts that are sitting at the surface of the earth right. when Adam is created to then become actualized and fully formed in the physical world. So it's, it, it bridges in the opposite direction, the spiritual potential into a physical right. actualization. That's the opposite direction right. of bridging. Okay. All right, so all of this came down to that we are saying, Baruch Shalmar v'hayahalam Baruch Blessed is the one who spoke and the world was, blessed is he. And what we said we have over here is a beginning of describing Hashem as the creator in 10 different terms, right? We said that the world is created in 10 
statements, and we have over here 10 statements describing Hashem, um, not by name, but through his deeds. So the first and foremost name of God is that he created the world Yeshua Ayin. This is what Rav Schwab says. As in Shmos, Vayidaber Elohim el Moshe, Hashem spoke to Moshe, Vayomeri love, and said to him, Ani Hashem, I am God. Meaning, the Mechilta says, Amar lo HaKadosh Baruch Hu Moshe, Hashem said to Moshe, Ani hu she'amarti v'hayaha olam. Sounds familiar, right? Sounds a little like Baruch Shamar. <laughs> it is I who spoke and said, the world is, the world shall be. Okay? Now, right, we're going to talk about this idea more because it's a little bit, it's an interesting and important way of thinking. Um, actually, just remember, okay. <clears throat> this is the opposite, though, of what we're seeing over here. So in the Pasuk, Hashem says, I am Hashem yud Hey, vav and Hey, which is a word that means the creator of the universe, who was, is, and always will be, which tells you I am the one who spoke and the world is, which means we need to do a little quick review. We did a quick-ish review of the word Baruch. Let's do a quicker review of the concept of a name of Hashem. There are many names that the Torah tells us for God. So what's a name? A name, a name is a little bit like a bracha. What do I mean by that? A bracha connects something in the physical world with its source in the spiritual world. A shame, a name, and it's based on the shla, a name is a description of a spiritual reality. A name is a description of something in the physical world, but describing its spiritual reality. So a bracha connects something in the physical world to its spiritual source. A name describes something in the physical world in terms of its spiritual reality. Because everything in this world that is physical is an expression of a spiritual reality. The name describes that. Now, sorry, yeah, my brain is a little that's fuzzy. okay. Uh, no, it's a mine. <laughs> yeah, no, it's not yours. A name is a spiritual description of a physical reality. A name is a description of a physical reality of the spiritual, spiritual reality of something in the physical world. So I see something physical, and I give it a name that's to describe not its physical characteristics. Okay, in Torah. A name is not to describe the physical characteristics of something, it's to describe the spiritual characteristics. Mm -hmm. By the way, if what you see is a description of the physical characteristics, then you're being told something about its spiritual characteristics, which is they're physicalized. If Asaph's gonna be described by his hair, right. Mm. right, then what are you learning about Asaph? What's his spiritual reality? It's a little scary. His spiritual reality has a lot to do, what does hair do? Hair comes from inside, like underneath, like your skin, within your, you know, the skin is like your boundary of your physical self, right? Hair, like, just pushes right through that and comes out into the world. So hair is an expression of force. So you have a shimshon, shimshon right? With this hair was like this symbol for his physical force and power, okay? 
Asav is described as kuloka derasear. He's like completely covered with a carpet of hair. Okay, it's an expression of physical force. Now he, that was meant to be a positive for him. He could have used that, right, as the one who will manage the world, and he's going to be this amazing team partner with Yaakov. One will be like the spiritual master. One will be the physical master. You'll have like king and kohen gadol, and you'll have this amazing thing going. Right? Asaph didn't take it in that direction. But that description of sheer physical force that like pushes outside into new boundaries, that's the description of this man. Okay? That's not typical. It, it's not to describe his, you know, like dermatological condition. Right? But then what do you do with like, like Rachel is a lamb? So, so the question like, is, what is the spiritual essence of a lamb? I don't know. And Rav Hirsch talks about these like things. It's like, so it's cattle. <coughs> it's like... Okay, so Rav Hirsch, I, I don't know. I don't, just because like, I'm, I'm not fresh are, on this, but... Just because I'm thinking there are Ima Hut, you know? Hirsch, yeah, yeah, yeah. So what it tells you is that those things have a spiritual... The, the name of a Rachel, which means like a female sheep, mm-hmm. right? Like a ewe, okay? That, what, well, that name doesn't mean the physical qualities of a ewe, Rachel. It doesn't mean like curly hair or something like that, right? So there's a spiritual reality of a sheep that Rachel brings in that's important. Okay, so what it is exactly, I don't know. But I can tell you that Rav Hirsch goes to great lengths throughout Vayikra to explain, I think it starts in Parshas Vayikra even, to talk about why different carbonos use different animals. Oh. Okay, why? Because animals have different qualities, which, mm-hmm. which when we bring them, we see those qualities as reflected in ourselves, but it's only a little piece of it, right? And there's no day on deep or there. But there are certain qualities that we see in ourselves in animals and that we are then relating to and offering up toward God. So each of them, the sheep and the cows, and the, they, they have a spiritual meaning to us and to themselves. And also, I think, in, in Vayikra, it talks about the intent of the person bringing the offering and what our spiritual state is at the time when we bring the offering. Right, that's, it's, it's totally relevant. It's, to, it's a part of making it a kosher offering. Right. has to do with what you're thinking. Right. But Rav Hirsch is saying why those animals. Mm-hmm. Meaning, what is that supposed to trigger in your thoughts? Mm-hmm. That it's, it's more than just what it's supposed to trigger in your thoughts. There is something about being human and having our feet on the ground. Yes, our head is supposed to be in Shemayim, but the feet still have to be on the ground. So there is an element, if a person is only up here and not at all down here, they're not alive. So in this life, there, everything has to it has to go up, but it has to come down also. And it has to turn into a physical action. So there are ideas that we are meant to have in Carbonos or in davening, okay, that then need to be turned into an action in order to become fully mitgashem, <laughs> right? In order to fully become actualized, it's not enough to think about it. You have to put some sort of action to it. So there are actions that are so all-encompassing uh, of fully dedicating ourselves to Hashem where to do that, we'd have to kill ourselves, so you could do it once, and then you'd be done, right? But that doesn't appear to be what he wants from us, as, as originally modeled in Yitzchak, where he says, I want you to give yourself up over to me entirely. 
you did that? Okay, so stop right there, like knife, like halfway down. That's enough then. We don't actually need you to die. We want you to get up and keep living yourself as a carbon, right? But you had to get to the point where you had done the full avoda of it. So it has to get up to that edge, and now we keep taking that on forward. And the way we take that on forward is through carbonos, so that we can have that thought process and have that spiritual effect and still have our feet rooted on the ground and actually do something with it. Okay, which Avram did. He then brought up a ram as a korban because he had this, uh, this overwhelming spiritual experience of avoda. And if there's no action to put with it, it's, it's a, it will become a frustrated spiritual experience or a stillborn spiritual experience. It won't go anywhere. So he has to, that's why he's a compelled to do something, right? So as not to lose hold of all of it. Okay. <clears throat> so a name describes the spiritual essence of something physical, and yet Hashem is not physical. Therefore, we cannot give him a name. Mm. And certainly, we have no clue about his spiritual essence or what that even means in terms of God. And so we are way out of our depth. However, with the case of Hashem, he has seen fit to describe himself to us using different names. The names differ depending upon how he is perceived from the physical side to be interacting with us in the physical world. Okay, so now I'm going to read you a little excerpt from Rabbi Eli Monk's Seven Days of the Beginning. Hashem cannot be experienced by our sensory organs. The fact that there is such a being can be made known to us only by a revelation accessible to our mind and senses. How do we know this, Hashem? He has to reveal himself as existing to us through physical interactions, through things we can sense. Because we have an ashama that has spiritual sensibility, but at the moment in this world, it is locked in a box that has five or six openings, right? It's got eyes, it's got ears, it's got smell, it's got touch, it's got maybe a sense of balance and inner, okay, taste. So Hashem reveals himself to us through interactions in the physical world, and he tells us what name describes not his, phys- not his spiritual reality, Okay, what name, the name tells us in what aspect we are to relate to his, him spiritually based on how he is relating to us physically. Because a name is a description of something physical, but describing its spiritual reality. So Can the names, yeah, a name is always describing something that's tangible to the physical. So over here, it's not Hashem who's tangible in the physical. It's his revelation to us through his actions. And those get described. So Elohim describes Hashem interacting in the world through Midas Adin, through judgment, which can be seen or experienced or felt or observed. Okay? Each name that Hashem shares with us is a description of his interaction with us in the physical world. 
and then telling us the spiritual reality we are to relate to. But it's only a facet because God is so much more. We don't, we don't really have a grip on him. So let me come back to Rabbi Mong. Such revelation will tell us only how Hashem acted or acts, but cannot make us understand his being to the degree we understand tangible things. A name talks about how Hashem acts. It is therefore necessary for the text to tell us first about an activity of his, the results of which allow us to observe him. What does this mean? The Torah begins, Bereshis bara Elohim, in the beginning, Hashem created the heavens and the earth. And when they translated the Torah into Greek by force, right, the 70 or 72 Chachamim were locked up by Talmai, they all made certain changes, and they made the same ones. And one of them was, instead of saying, Bereshis, at the beginning, Bara Elohim, created the Lord, the heavens and the earth, they all said, God created the heavens and earth in the beginning. Why? Because a Greek person, their default setting is the pantheon of Greek gods. And you just keep adding. So if it says Bereshis, Baralokim, they're going to say, oh, there's like an in the beginning, something before God. And he's like, a word before God means there's something before God. Or a God called Bereshis, or whatever. So God, you know, they didn't want that to be misinterpretable, especially right at the beginning of the Torah, where this is like the foundation of everything. So they switched it. But then we could still ask the question, why does Hashem then open himself to us, introduce himself to us, so to speak, by first saying, Bereshis bara, first thing he created, and then Elohim, the Lord. So Rabbi Munk is explaining, this is always the way Hashem does it. He tells us about an activity of his, bara, he created. The results of the fact that he created is what allows us to know that he's there and to then refer using the name that he is associated with that action, which in this case is Elohim. With me? Okay. So, Rashi over here quotes Rabbi Yitzchak, Koach Masav Amo, the power of his deeds, Hashem relates to his nation. That's, that's the commentary on Bereshis Bar Elohim. <laughs> the Torah is... Hashem revealing himself to us through his interactions with us. That's what Torah is. Okay? He teaches us with his deeds and acts in the world through gracious and through our life events and through prophecy and through Torah. All right. Since the phenomena of his activities, which we observe in nature and history, take many forms, it should be made clear in any given case what exactly reveals itself of him to us. What is he revealing to us in the things he puts into our lives? It's not always obvious to us in our life what he is trying to say to us. We try. But in the Torah, he does. And this, in fact, happens in the Torah, which describes him with many, quote, names, each of which is observed or which is to be brought to our notice on that occasion. Every time the creator is mentioned in the Chumash, he's introduced by a name describing the particular aspect of his being under which the activity referred to takes place or should be viewed. In other words, Hashem does not change the Torah is instructing us as to how we should think about him based on what he has done or shown to us. Okay. That's why Rabbeinu Bachya says, same Rabbeinu Bachya, 
embraces. He says, how come the Torah starts with a base and not an olive? Because olive is one perfect unity, unchanging and infinite, and we cannot grasp it at all. The Torah begins with base because the Torah is a revelation of Hashem's interaction with us. It is speaking to us in order that we can grasp something. <laughs> Torah is here for us to understand, not to confuse us. It's here to reveal something to us. So that starts with Bayes. Bayes is the beginning of our ability to grasp something. Bayes is the revelation from the spiritual, bridged down into the physical. And the Torah begins with Bayes, Bereshis, Thara. Okay. It's the base is there to help us grasp what is revealed, or is to help us it, to... It's both. It is revealing himself to us, and at the same time, always doing so, then associated with a name, the name telling us how we should be viewing him. And because we are so limited in our ability to grasp, so we're just taking little bits at a time. It's as if there's this chandelier, and light is shining out from little holes in it, and we're being told which one to look through. But at no one time are we able to see the full light. We're just not able. So we keep looking at different bits of it, and piece by piece, we get a little bit of a bigger picture. But in the end, it's only a tiny fraction of what's really there. But it's what we need. Jim's telling us what we need to know. OK, so let me finish up over here. The point that I wanted to make is, look at Baruch Sha'amar. This is the principle that's functioning here. Baruch, we don't have his name yet. Okay, what's Pesukit Zimmer again? Pesukit Zimmer is observing natural forces, observing that which is created in the world, observing national and international events, and recognizing that all of them are Hashem guiding his plan for the universe, right? This sounds familiar, right? From like a year ago or something? Okay. So what is the fundamental principle of that? Knowing God through how he reveals himself in creation and history. Okay. So now what did we learn from the very beginning, from Barashas Barlokim, about what does it mean to try and know Hashem or praise Hashem knowing that he is the one in control of, and seeing that through his revelation of his control through natural forces in history, that begins with 10 expressions of Baruch, because the world is created with 10 Mamaros, before we ever say his name. Because how do we rec how do we see what's before we ever hear before we ever say his name we say Baruch Shamar Olam. well that's not the name of God right blessed is the one who spoke and the world was Baruch Osevaracious blessed is the one who materialized creation Baruch Omer Veoseh blessed is the one who speaks and does Baruch Gozer Umakayim blessed is the one who decrees and fulfills blessed is the one who has mercy on the land. Blessed is the one who has mercy on his creatures. Blessed is the one who repays good reward to those who have awe of him. Blessed is the one who exists forever and provides life for eternity. Blessed is the one who redeems and saves. Baruch Shemot, blessed is his name. It's a reference to his name. It's not even his name, right? 
And then, Baruch Atah Hashem Elokeinu Melech HaOlam HaKelav. Meaning, in order to say Psukei Zimra, to say the bracha for Psukei Zimra, I have to first remember, what am I doing over here? What I'm doing here is I'm saying, I can look at everything in the world, every experience that happens, every force that is, we talked about the overwhelming nature of these forces, right? We're over here already in the level of Yitzira. We're talking about tsunamis and climate and, and movement of armies and governments and elections. elections. And, okay, these are forces way above and beyond the individual. And a person could erroneously look at those as being the actual forces that are acting upon us, but they're not. They're Hashem, who is the source of all of those, and he, the, the olam is laha'alim, right, to hide. Olam means to just hide something, hmm. okay? The world can either be a mask hiding us from seeing God, or it can be Hashem is revealing himself to us through this. That's Barashas Bar Elokim, okay? Hashem is revealing himself to this, and this refocuses us on that element of the 10 steps of creation, the 10 ways in which God is, and then we say Baruch Hashem, and we're ready for a Pesuket That's the concept of Pesuket Okay? Mm-hmm.